Hey, welcome to the Royal Podcast of Oz. This is Jared Davis. And this is Sam Malazzo. And today we'll be starting our very own Oz Reviews, de- debuting with the 1910 silly film, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. A little bit of history here. Uh, back in 1908, Elfine Baum had this great idea for a touring multimedia review called The Fairy Log and Radio Plays. Basically, what this would be would be live actors, uh, a slideshow, and a little short film that would very much enact scenes from his first Oz books and some of his other novels. A means of promotion of sorts. Yeah. And entertainment for children. The only problem was was that the only way to keep people going was to have a pretty low price. Unfortunately... He was not able to keep enough going to pay back all his debts and keep the show on the road. And he wound up going pretty deeply in debt, so much he had to declare bankruptcy. That's a shame. That actually brings us to the Selig Polyscope Company, who actually made those short films for Baum. Uh, In order to pay back his debt to them, he turned over the film rights to some of his books. They actually produced four films. They were, of course, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which we all know and have seen. Then came Dorothy and the Scarecrow in Oz, The Land of Oz, and Drawn Doe and the Cherub. Those last three of which we haven't been able to find or see, but only read about or see in books vaguely. Uh, Yes. Sadly, the fate of several silent films remains unknown because... They didn't store film properly, and it was made on a really bad nitrate substance. So the fact that they were actually able to find the first film from The, the Wonderful Wizard of Oz from 1910 is simply amazing. A miracle. So while we all like to see all four of the films, we're just right now we're just grateful we have one of them. Absolutely. Even though that one, you watch it and you're like, okay, I can see what's going on here. I can see how this is based on Oz, but what on earth happened here? Now, of course, um, all you people listening, that this was in the early 1900s, so they didn't couldn't really do long films, like an hour and a half like we do today, or even certainly not two hours, so they had to keep it short to like under 15 minutes, and they didn't have sound back then. They only had the picture. They couldn't move the cameras around, so there were no real panning shots. So... It was almost as if we were watching a stage play, but in front of the camera. So, And they couldn't speak either, so they only had the picture, and they had a score for the background. Uh, some people actually get silent films really wrong, where they're depicted as uh, people saying complete lines, and then the intertitles show complete conversations happening. And that's not the way they went at all, actually. What it was more like was pantomime. And they didn't really care about actually saying the entire line in front of the camera, nor they really depend on having a conversation. In fact, there's not really any dialogue, per se, in the 1910 movie at all. Yes, we see the characters talk, but there are no, like, quotation screen titles, only um, title cards that describe the scene. Uh, no, I'm thinking, actually, the very opening of the film is actually missing. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray from Warner Brothers in recent sets with the MGM movie. 
on Warner Brothers DVDs, you can see a uh, extra title that they put on there, which they aged it, but it doesn't really match the rest of the film. And seeing another version that the Library of Congress released on DVD, you know that it, it, it's not on that one, so you know that Warner Brothers added that, actually. I never really knew it was that different. I only have it on the WB DVD. I've never actually seen the Sailor Lake Oz film on the other DVD. I, I would have liked to have seen that, though. Well, pretty much... You know, people have said that the Warner Brothers transfers a bit is a bit softer, and actually the Library of Congress one is the same. But for me, it doesn't really make much of a too much of a difference because it's a silent film, and the fact is that it's not high quality because it's old. So old that it's actually 100 years, in fact. So happy anniversary, Sir Lake's Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And then the very first shot we see in all existing prints is of a donkey prancing around in a Kansas farmyard with uh, what appears to be Aunt Tim, Uncle Henry, and maybe some farm hands. And, yes, actually, since you mentioned that scene, you can, if you were to pause it, like, frame by frame, you would actually see um, the girl who plays Dorothy, B.B. Daniels, just run off stage, like, just behind the shed of the farm. So Dorothy is in that scene, but you just don't really see her straight away. And then the next scene... Uh, says, meets the amazing Scarecrow. Wonderful Scarecrow. The wonderful Scarecrow, yes. That was what makes me think the actual first title card is still missing. So, who is meaning the wonderful Scarecrow? Anyways, and then it shows Dorothy, a couple animals. Dorothy is playing a little ball with Toto, and she's also accompanied by a cow, the same mule from the first scene. And they're just on, like, on the steps in front of the Scarecrow, and later we see that, that she also has a little parcel, and a basket. And suddenly the scarecrow comes to life, and we're still in Kansas. Mm. So some viewers might think, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? Did, did we suddenly go to Oz? The answer is no. For some reason, the scarecrow came to life in Kansas in this one. I don't really know or understand why they did it, but I don't really have a problem with that, though. I'm not saying, they gla- I'm, I'm, not saying I'm glad they did it, but I'm not so much against it. Yes, the Scarecrow takes Dorothy's parasol, it opens, and then suddenly it blows away. Yes, and then the Scarecrow helps get Dorothy and her animal friends almost to safety by hiding along a haystack when a cyclone's coming. Which shows that he really has no brains. And we we should point out to anybody who has not seen this film yet, is that even though there's a cyclone, it's not like a funnel that you see in the MGM or cartoon Wizard of Oz from 1933. It's just like leaves in the wind and objects being moved across the stage or set in front of the camera from our right to the left. So there's no final, just what we see being done from um, the storm. Yeah, you don't really see the cyclone itself. We just see the storm and the effects of it. And actually, Jared, speaking of the Selig cyclone, there's actually something I noticed that's a little bit odd. Like, um, before we see Dorothy and all the friends on the haystack spinning around, um, just before that, across the screen, there's this thing that goes flying about. Like, it looks like a life-sized doll, I think. Um, you know, it can't be the patrickle because the book's not even written yet, but it looks like a, an early stunt woman or a giant doll being thrown about in the storm. Did you ever notice that? I did. It almost looked like Dorothy was jumping over the fence or something. 
I, I'm not really sure what that is. <laughs> Who knows? It might, maybe it's supposed to be a seat or something that like got blown off a clothesline. I don't know. <laughs> it looks like it has hair, but it's so, how can we say, abstract, blink and miss, it's hard to really decipher for sure. Yeah. And considering the age of the film, the quality is not really that great to zoom in. Unfortunately so. Unless they do give a maximum resolution, restoration, um, remaster. That'd be nice. And then, as the next title says, flown into the Land of Oz. When we just are in the Land of Oz now, there's not only the... There are palm trees, and it's a bit of a large tropical landscape. Did you actually like that scene design or not quite happy about it? I thought it was okay because they kind of like mixed together where Oz is a very, very, uh, a very varying place. And even though the story is taking some weird turns at this point, I thought it actually depicted a pretty accurate look for Oz. I don't really see Oz as the type of place to have palm trees. Well, you never know what you might find. As <laughs> we then meet the Wizard of Oz himself in the throne room, he's accompanied by like a dozen Ombi Ambi soldiers with long beards and a character who's dressed up just like the Guardian of Gates from the Denslow edition, and he um, sets out a proclamation um, wishing to be freed from Momba, the Wicked Witch, and he actually admits there and there that he's a humbug hoping to keep this a secret. Which makes no sense whatsoever. So, we actually see one little influence from for MGM, like the Wicked Witch making an early appearance. Not necessarily the West Witch, because there is only the one witch here, so East, West, North, South, it doesn't really matter, but we do see a Wicked Witch here threatening the Wizard of Oz, something we don't see very often. That kind of makes it weird, because... That never really happened in uh, any of the books. It does definitely show how this was influenced by the stage musical, which was running at the time and very popular and successful. And then we go back to Dorothy and her friends. And then we go back to Dorothy and her friends, and Dorothy's playing with Toto. And suddenly Glinda pops up, and you can tell she's on a harness. Mm-hmm. But Lion is sneaking up behind um, Dorothy and Glenn and Swans Toto, an actual real cane terrier dog, into a bulldog, and that is a man in a bulldog costume to protect you. I don't like Toto as a bulldog, especially a actor in a furry costume. It is kind of a weird look. I mean, John O'Neill did draw him as a Boston bulldog. Boston terrier. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. So this... Some different looks on what Toto looked like, but this is kind of a bit over the top. Still, mm. for some reason, it's almost like I think that because, as I mentioned before, we, we get to see this film at all, we kind of tend to uh, disregard these little bits that make us think, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then they go on and they find the wizard's proclamation and read it. Then they come across this <laughs> Ed Woodman. Who has two oil cans, and he's accompanied by a cat that some people say is Eureka. Uh, what do you think about that, Sam? Honestly, I don't think the cat is Eureka, because anybody who has read the book will remember that Eureka is white, or sometimes pink, and this cat in the film is not white, it's 
black and white, not to mention an actor in a costume, and I think they didn't really need the cat. I think the film could have been a bit more understanding without the cat, because it doesn't really do anything. And I don't think it is Eureka. I doubt it, highly doubt it. Yeah. But the Tin Woodman does actually has a bit of a more influence from the musical in that he has a piccolo, like a flute. Yes, that was directly from the stage musical. And his nose is also long and pointed, isn't it? Like, pointed out from the... He has a costume like a stage play, but has the book's long nose. Am I correct? Or is that the, the other way? Uh, yes, I do believe that... I don't really think the Tin Woman had much of a long nose in the play that is, uh, that is from the pictures I've seen. That was definitely mm. something that they picked up from the books. Yes, definitely. And was the Scarecrow's costume also more similar to the play as well, you think? Ah, uh, yes, it was very much like Fred Stone's uh, costume. So, just like the play, the Scarecrow and Tin Woodman in this film are sort of like the um, comedy comedy duo. Yeah. So, after um, the Tin Woodman plays little piccolo, Dorothy does a little dance, they join arms, like the animals get up on the hind legs, which is actually even not only foreshadows MGM, but also foreshadows even the little wizard stories of Oz books, where John Neal draws the lion and tiger on the hind legs for the first time, and then the characters walk off, and then get captured by Mamba the witch and her minions, the spider, and what looks like a ringed toad, or more like a lizard, and the guards, who we all fans can't help but think are the Winky soldiers. And they all and they all get thrown in jail except Dorothy, who Mamba is leading off for some reason because since she doesn't have the silver shoes. Clean the floor. Haha. <laughs> but no. Dorothy doesn't take this, and she grabs the bucket of water, and well. Flash. And we all know what happens here, except in. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does melt away, but it's just with the dissolving of the films, like one scene with Mamba and one scene without. So, the, so to, again, to all the people who have never seen this film before, she does melt, but just in a simple way. She doesn't, she doesn't drip down onto the floor, she doesn't fall down, she just stands there and waits for the film to blend from one scene to another. Yes. So remember this, they didn't have a lot of special effects in this time. They had to do things differently. Yeah. So then they're all free and um, they escape from the prison. They Dorothy takes the witch's hat, which they say is magic, but they don't do anything. There's no linked monkey, so why is it magic? other than not melting away Oh, I said maybe they revealed the power of the magic hat in the sequels that we never got to see. Mm, maybe, yes. And getting back to the Emerald City, we see the guarding of the gates, like a new character who's in the Amarchkin costume from the books is illustrated by Denslow. And then we again see the dozen or so um, on the Ambi soldiers, and then Dorothy and all her friends um, enter the Emerald City, they meet the wizard, um, there's, the wizard actually crowds the scarecrow when he originally wants to reward Dorothy for it, and then they go off to make the balloon, don't they? Yes, and there's a little funny scene here where 
Uh, they have some work girls who are dressed up like Galinda's guards from the book in Denzel's illustrations. And they would yeah. obviously be making a balloon, except uh, suddenly, what time is it that they clock out at? 12. <laughs> 12, union rules, no work after 12. And they, so they do a little dance, which is possibly influenced by the stage musical, and then they skip off. And the wizard um, is not happy about this. He's depressed. And, um, well, did you also notice how in this scene, Dorothy has a Emerald City dress, just like the original Denslow book? Like she has a new dress instead of her gingham gown with the dots? Oh, that is a good point there. I hadn't really noticed that before. I'm going to have to watch that again very soon. So then the wizard shows Dorothy the sign, and she laughs. <laughs> like she laughs at the Union Rules No Work at the 12th sign. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're supposed to assume that they eventually make the balloon. It just didn't exactly happen that quickly. <laughs> eventually, we do see the balloon actually completed, like being levitated off the ground in like a new scene, and the balloon floats up after the wizard empties the sandbag, but without Dorothy, she's left on the ground with um, the scarecrow and tin woodman lifting her up, but she doesn't get in the balloon, so we only see the wizard floating away. And there's, even though Dorothy is still in Oz, there's a little celebration. Yes, and you can see... Hey, Dorothy is dressed in Oz. Goody. Yeah. Yay! Well then, now, like I said, probably a lot of our criticisms with this film we mainly ignore because, well, it's a miracle we got to see this film at all. The storytelling is kind of weird. Maybe it's because we're no longer in the silent movie era and we're judging it from a... Tw- okay. It's weird, but on the other hand, it's not exactly a boring film. I mean, yes, it's under 15 minutes, but it's actually pretty fast paced for a silent movie yeah they exaggerate the actions because they couldn't they didn't speak so they had to um exaggerate the actions that's what they did and i think maybe a lot of people would criticize this film because they aren't really as well educated in the silent films as some of us may be so i think they would criticize it because they don't understand the film's standards as well as other people might. Plus, they might not like the film or the adaptations as we do. And remember, this was 1910. The full-length motion picture was not uh, quite developed then. You know, but you know, only a few years later we'd get to uh, no. films that would actually reach a whole hour. It's actually a good thing that you mentioned the timing lengths because I first found out about this silly 1910 film from the annotated Wizard of Oz, and in that Book, they had a screenshot of the um, scene where, with the Tin Woodman and Spiccolo, which we just discussed. So they never said anything about the time. So I just um, assumed that it was an hour long. So I imagined all these scenes like that told the story faithfully, sort of. And it wasn't until I found the film for my first, the first time on the 2005 Warner Brothers Wizard of Oz DVD that... I saw it for myself, but I wasn't disappointed. I I really did enjoy this film the first time, and um, so I was able to imagine what could have been a little bit better. But um, yes, I did have an entirely different first impression or expectation 
of the film before I saw it. So what was it like for you when you first read about this film and when you saw it for yourself? You see, I read about it online first. There was a lot of... There was, and there is still a big misconception going on that uh, it was the footage from the Fairy Log and Radio place. This film was the same as the 1908. Yes, there was a big misconception mm-hmm. going on that that was the same film footage from the Fairy Log and Radio place that's edited together. When it turns out that wasn't true at all. This was filmed. This was a completely different film. So I found out that wasn't true before I'd seen it. And then uh, we heard it was finally being released mm-hmm. on DVD from a set from the Library of Congress. And at the time, mm-hmm. I couldn't even imagine buying that set. So uh, what I did was I asked my library to order it. You weren't really keen on getting that archive set because it was so expensive and had so much more footage, too? Well, uh, I was in my teens, and I didn't really have a job, so I couldn't even imagine trying to buy it. And when I got it, I was like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, but by the time I was done, I was like, this was actually a very good movie. Oh, good. So we both enjoyed it for the first time when we saw it. Yeah. So when I heard that Warner Brothers was going to put it on DVD, I was like, yay, I can have it on my own. It is, actually, it is a very good film. Um, it does, like... It doesn't, it's not perfect. It doesn't get Dorothy back to Kansas in the end. It has a influence from the musical, but it's still good. It's actually because it's the first decent film we have of the first book. So I think they did a great job. I mean, isn't B.B. Daniels adorable as Dorothy? And isn't Toto just like how you imagined him from the book? Before he gets giant-sized, and yes. And not to mention the sets of the Emerald City. Yes, it's mostly painted backdrops, but isn't it still gorgeous? Yeah. It, it really sells the effect there. You know, if, that's mm-hmm. if you're getting into it. I mean, if you're being too critical and just trying to observe all the details, you'd be like, yeah, that's just set scenery. You're not trying to enjoy the film, then. You're just trying to be too critical and not really trying to appreciate for the time it was made in, which is really the wrong way to uh, mm. approach it. But do you think... But if this film had turned out to be footage from the 1908 version, do you think we'd still be feeling the same admiration for it? Or would do you think we'd be craving for another silent film? Oh, uh, well, I understand that that was... It was more of a broken down version of the story put on film. Uh, pretty faithfully done, except uh, there was no Wicked Witch and the lion dropped out of the story suddenly. So I think it's really a toss-up. We might we really would have had to have seen that footage, which we're sadly never going to see. Uh, we would have had to mm. see that in order to really appreciate it. And the only way we can see the 1908 film is... Um, in little snippets, like there's a few, there's a bit of a comparison in the night in the Oz Before the Rainbow book by Mark Evans Swatch. Um, in that little bit of, uh, let's see, Elfling Bomb, the man behind the curtain on the DVDs. Yeah, and those are just uh, stills and slides from the show. It's not actually the film footage. We're sadly never really going to see what that. Unfortunately, really like. but we, but at least from them, we have an idea of what they're like, yeah. even if it's just like a minuscule glimpse. 
So we should point out that Dorothy is more John Neal than Denslow. It was not the same costume. They didn't use the same costume for Dorothy, at least. Uh, I saw some of the other ones, and some of the other characters look the same. Since Celix Studio made them both, it's, it, it would be no surprise that they might have recycled them. And that's actually good, recycling costumes, too. Especially since you can't see um, their original use. So it's actually good that they recycled um, costumes for a production we can't see when the first time they didn't. Ugh. Okay. Well, if they... If it's... Let me... I'll rephrase it. If Selig did um, recycle the costumes from 1908, at least we can actually see what the costumes are like. Because in the 1908 version, we can't see it. So if it's if Selig did reuse the costumes, well, that's good then. Well, the 1910 Selig film is available on the 2005 MGM Wizard of Oz DVD, like the three-disc set, and also available on the 2009 70th Anniversary Collector's Edition as well as the Blu-ray, and many other DVDs that um, collect the silent films. And it's a great little film, short but sweet. <laughs> and as the title says, wonderful. Yes. And, well, we're going to try to do some more of these movie reviews. Next time we're going to be, well, you start to tackle the Oz Film Manufacturing Company silent films, and we'll see how we can go from there, and if we'll see how long this can go. Yes, so thank you for listening to us, and uh, we hope we were um, clear with our um, ideas of the film from 1910. Happy anniversary. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll try to do better next time. So this is Jared Davis. This is Sam Malazzo. Thank you for listening to the Royal Podcast of Oz, and we'll see you again next time. Bye.